0: Beautiful, defining moments are pockets in time that give you clues of your purpose. Today, we will hear a story about war, displacement, life as a refugee, and immigrating to a new country. Liberian-born Mente Wire gives us an exclusive and intimate look into her life as a refugee and how she came to embody her mantra. Be strong. You are listening to the Africana Woman Podcast. I'm your host. Every week I ask an Africana woman to invite us into her home to give us a snapshot into what happens behind her closed doors. I hope you will join me on this journey of discovery, revelation and self-awareness. I'm not going to lie, it may become uncomfortable sometimes. However, I encourage you to push past your unease and challenge yourself to think differently. The simple act of expanding yourself to receive the unknown may be transformational for you. So many times people ask, what is my purpose? How do I know what is my purpose? The best way to discover what your purpose is, is to look back through your life and reflect on your defining moments. That will give you clues as to what you are called to do, why you have the heart and empathy to do what you do, and why you do it in a particular way that is unique to you. Please open your hearts to this powerful story told by Mente Waya. You may want to have some tissues on standby. Here goes. All right, welcome to the Africana Woman, Mike. Today we are talking to Mente Waya, and she is a registered nurse. She's also an entrepreneur. She has a cleaning business that was especially created to employ women of immigrant background. She is based in Australia, but you know what? I'm not going to tell you too much about Mente. We going to have a fantastic conversation today and I'm just very very excited and honored that she has chosen the Africana Woman podcast to be the first place where her interview is (laughs) and where she's telling her story so this is exclusive guys this is huge. So, Mente is from Liberia and you know what girl sis Welcome to the Africana Woman podcast. I'm very excited that you're here and thank you for taking time to be here.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Cholo. I'm so grateful, so grateful to you for being the one to get me to tell this story for everyone to hear. Thank you so much. I mm-hmm. appreciate it.
0: All right, let's get started. Now, I already told the audience that you're from Liberia, but you know what, tell us a little bit more about you. Where does your story begin? Oh
1: my goodness. Um, So I'm Minte, I am from Liberia, West Africa, which is a little country along the Atlantic. And um, I currently live in Australia, Melbourne, to be specific, and I've been here for the last um, 15 years. And um, I was born and raised in Liberia, partly. Right now, I'm a registered nurse in Australia, and um, part of my job in Australia, I've been a nurse for about 10 years. And part of that nursing job is um, mentoring student and novice nurses, And also what people don't know that I do on the side is my cleaning business, which was born purely out of the need to just mentor um, and employ immigrant women. And people say, why immigrant women? Because I was once an immigrant myself and I know what it's like to come to another country. And when I say come to another country, I know other people migrate. For reasons like I want a better life or I think my kids will go to a better school or something like that. But when you're migrating because of war and just running away to the next best place, that can be difficult. And that's how I found myself in Australia. But there's a long
0: story in between (laughs) people getting to Australia. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so um, I think could you give us some um, some historical context for people that are not uh, quite aware of, you know, what was happening in Liberia at the time that you know your family decided to they had to leave.
1: So um, born in Liberia, both parents work. I know when people hear about Africa, they just think, oh yeah. The lions and the tigers and everyone's barefoot. Kids don't have food to eat. There's no running water and electricity. <laughs> but um, that was not the case. I was born in Monrovia, the capital, and my and both parents work as banker. So we were fortunate enough to have a home with running water <laughs> and a shower. And um, me and my siblings went to like private school. We had people come and cook and clean and look after us and had tutor someone driving us to school. I even ended up in a boarding school at one point. And Liberia, as I knew it growing up, it was just one of the best countries. We had people coming from all over the world to come to Liberia to learn like and um what I got to know later from my parents that Liberia was one of the most peaceful countries in the world. And it was actually going to be crowned or something by UN as one of the peaceful countries in the world. And then when I was seven, seven, eight, we just woke up one morning. And, but before that morning, I had left boarding school because the country had become unstable, there were rebels had entered the country and they were advancing to the capital really, really quickly, and um, we just got told you have to pack up because parents got scared, and they just came and took their kids home. so we were in that sort of fear environment but not knowing exactly what was going to happen. <laughs> and then early that morning, we just heard) And that was guns. Like, because um, our parents told us we've got everything inside. Apparently, it's going to be for a short time. So, we've got food, we've got everything we can survive. But then people were like running everywhere, and people were knocking on the door like our neighbors. We're leaving now, and we don't want to leave anyone behind. So, we all have to go. And we just jumped out of the house with pajamas like nothing. Nothing, just pajamas, and our parents try to tell us that um, it's only going to be for a week. We're going to be back. Don't worry. We never came back, and that was since 1990. We ended up living, running away from the from Liberia,
0: walking so through the bushes. Yeah. Could I just? Um, just to understand, wh- what is your family composition like? So um, I'm from a big family, So, but
1: my immediate family is like mom and dad. I've got twin sisters and I've got
0: three brothers. Uh, okay. So yeah. were, they like all, the were they all born by that time? My last brother wasn't
1: born at that time.
0: Mm. Mm, yeah mm. so you said twin that's three plus so five children yes were plus your parents um you know jumped out of your house in pajamas and started running okay yeah yeah go ahead yeah and we just jumped out of the house
1: and we left and um Just ran for the bushes and just followed, like, it was a big crowd. It was a huge crowd. Everyone just walking down the road pretty much. That's all I can remember. And um, we just kept walking and we ended up, like, no clothes, no food, pyjamas, like, wherever we would stop, people that would live in that area would, like, have a little veggie patch or whatever, and Mum will just find whatever, and we'll just eat as we go. And um, I don't think we really got hungry. Like I can't remember like getting hungry because I think it was just shock. So we just survived that way. And we'd ended up living in two—not even one, but two different countries—as um, refugees. And in the second, um, so the first country was in Ivory Coast. And that's where I partly uh, grew up, went to high school and all that. And then while living in Abricos, in Africa we didn't have to live in a refugee camp. We had to um, rent homes to live in. And again, we just, mom was still, at that point, our dad had gone missing. So... What happens during the, war, during the uh, war is the men, especially when you had a good job or something, you get mm-hmm. targeted and the people, the, the rebels feel that um, you guys had all the money and you are the cause of the problem and stuff like that. That's what I got told anyway as a child. So um, dad had to go a separate route from us because if you stayed with your family and you're going to get killed, your whole family
0: gets killed. Mm-hmm. So I
1: had to make that sacrifice
0: to move on
1: and leave. So, us.
0: Yeah, can I, I? I'm gonna take you back. How long did you walk? Because okay. you said that you were just walking in a group. So yeah. how long were you walking? So it wasn't
1: like you just walk and get to where you're going. Mm-hmm. So it took a long time. I cannot remember how long, but before we got to. Average recourse like from walking through the bushes I think it was already like two three years it was just and you'll go and you'll stop and you'll think that everything is going to be okay but no that place will get attacked and then you leave that place and then move to another place so the decision wasn't just go to this country it was like go to the next best safe place and then move on to the next and then move on to the next like just living day-to-day, hour-to-hour, seeing people getting killed, seeing people getting murdered, seeing people getting missing from their families, seeing families crying, oh, this person just went missing today, just
0: yeah I'm trying to to wrap my mind around this because, you know when you started the story, you said that, you know, your parents told you, oh, this is going to take two weeks and then um, a week it was going to take a week, a week. right? This is going yeah. to take a week, and everything
1: then, will be settled. All these bad guys will be gone. will come back.
0: Mm-hmm. And then you said that two to three years before you actually settled in in, in Ivory Coast. Ivory Coast. That. Yep. Yeah. I'm. I'm sorry. I I can't wrap my mind around it. Nah. Um, yeah. so okay so when the first week passed then had your father already decided to part with you then? Um, no, he happened? stayed with us for a little bit and then we went
1: um, to the to the countryside to where my, my dad was born in his hometown uh, we managed to get to there and then that's when um, we got
0: separated Okay, so that was very early on to those two to three years Yes. It was in the first year. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So um I mean, what are what are the what do you remember of your parents telling you about, you know, what's going on? Because first they told you two weeks and then I mean did they still tell you anything or um by the time we got before we even got To the
1: countryside, it was like, we don't know what's going on anymore. We don't know what's going on. We don't know how long it's going to be. You just need to listen to us when we say run inside, run. When we say let's go, go. You can't leave your parents in the morning and just go play with other kids in the neighbourhood anymore. You can't go to school you can't have breakfast because you wake up in the morning, oh, mom, we want breakfast. Oh, we can't have breakfast. We just got to have what's available when it's available. So it was just like, mom was just like, this is it. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what's happened. And it's just like. So, so yeah.
0: in, in your mind, as the seven, oh, or yeah, eight seven, year eight. old, child what was going through your mind to be honest I grew up I
1: think um, I grew up in an environment where we were empowered and told that we could do whatever we wanted to do and pretty much my life was planned out I knew where I was going to go to primary school where I was going to go to high school and then where I was going to graduate and go to college or university and I knew I was going to become a doctor. And so I just had that, you know, pumped feeling of, yep. And then when this happened, that feeling just went down. And I just felt cheated, disempowered, weak. I just felt, like, fearful all the time. I just felt like, why am I even here? Like, those emotions
0: just took over. Completely. Yeah. 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 So, after in the first year, you got separated from your father. Uh-huh. And then um, you continued to, to be moving to, you know, safe places, safe havens, safe, whatever safe uh, could be defined at that point. Yeah. And then eventually um, you made your way to uh, Ivory Coast after uh, about two to three years. Yeah. And your father was still not, you're not with your father. no. Okay. So um, what happened then? Because, you know, you said that, you know, you were able to go to high school. So did mom get a job? Um, What exactly were the circumstances then? And you said you didn't have to live in the, live in a a camp. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: So um, when we got to Africa, some of my mom's family had already gone ahead. So um, my mom left us at one point with our grandparents, our dad's family, and went to look for our dad. And then um, mom found our dad and then she stayed for a little bit because it, it's like a long travel because sometimes you go and then you stop and then you go and you stop. So mom came back and then mom was pregnant, but then she couldn't give birth in that remote area. So she had to go again to look for somewhere to give birth, which was better than where we were. So when she went to give birth where she left us, we had to be separated from both parents because there was fighting in that region, and then that region gets shut off. So the left stay, you stay where you are and the right stay where they are. So then one of his sisters, which has, she has already gone over to the Coast with her family, came over to get us. Is, they didn't know where we were, but they heard, because people travel around all the time. So people keep asking, did you see this person? Did you see this person? And if they say, oh, I saw them, this place, you're going to Check to see if they're there or if they have moved on. So our auntie came and she took us um, to the Africa coast, walking and then mum finally got on I don't know if it was a boat she got on a plane she left Liberia she went to Guinea on the plane and then she got on a ship from Guinea and came to coast because she had heard that your sister had taken your kids and came to Abricorce to look for us. And um, yeah, and she came and she found us in Abricorce. So while in Abricorce, we had family in America. So when you get to the Abricorce, you get registered, you're a refugee. And then um, they will give you like rations and that. So when they give you rice or thin fish or salt or whatever, mom will take half of that stuff sell it, and keep half. So that half selling was our livelihood. And then she had family overseas, of course. They'll help her sometimes with like $50 or whatever, and she'll add to that business whatever she was selling. Like we've sold everything. Mum would say everything that we need in this house, we're going to sell. So if we need soap to wash our clothes, we'll sell soap in the community. People buy soap and then we wash our clothes with soap. If we need oil, we'll sell oil in the community. People buy oil and then we have oil to eat. But then we've got money to say whatever we don't have, we can go and buy it or we can go and um, register. Like we're refugees, so we just pay like a little bit, not as compared to everyone else. And then you can be able to rent a place. And when I say a place, it's like, they call it entre couche, which is like entering sleep. So you just walk in and that's it right there. So, yeah. And that's how we just survived and just lived in a community, whatever hand me downs people could give us, whatever we could sell. There used to be market days on the Thursday, and we'll just go to the market after school and just sell. And we used to make bread, we used to make donuts, we used to make like Whatever, just to survive.
0: So where was Dad at this time? Because she had found him, and then she got pregnant. And yes. like the mom, she's, she's passed. But <laughs> yes. so where was Dad at this? Dad was
1: back in Liberia. So she okay. left Dad, came to find us, and then another walk is it would just break up, and then it, another war just broke up. We just didn't hear from him. And we just stayed in Ivory Coast. And mom was like, we're just going to stay here. Mm. At least we'll be in one place so that if someone tells him we're here, he knows that we're here. Yeah.
0: So where does the story go from here? We stayed in Ivory Coast. How many years were you in Ivory Coast? Uh, We stayed in Ivory Coast until two thousand.
1: Two thousand and three, I want to say, yeah, I think it was two thousand and three or two thousand and two, and then there was another rebel war in Ivory as well. So it had us from Liberia. Yeah, same thing. Woke up, but at that time I was a teenager. Now woke up in the morning. We went. We used to go five o'clock in the morning for um, a prayer group because um, we're Christians. And it was um, a women's prayer group that I I had become a part of. And I had gone that morning with my friend. And um, while we were praying, we just started hearing sound. And everyone was like, do you hear what's, do you hear? like?" And that familiar sound, I will never forget. That feeling just came back to me and just sat in my throat. And I just felt like not again. But yeah, that was it. Got up from that prayer room. But for some reason, the strength would just build up in you to just run. And I, up to this day, I don't know how fast I ran, but I can tell you it was fast. And my friend that I was holding, like she was fainting, she was giving up. And she's a really big girl. Up to today, she tells me, I don't know how, because I'm skinny, but I used to be really, really skinny. She goes, I don't know how you pulled me. I grabbed her by the hands, ran with her, like pretty much dragging her, went and dropped her off at her house, and then ran over to my house. But when we were leaving our recourse, I was like a bit grown up, So I was like, I'm not going to leave everything behind. I packed a little carry-on bag with like undies and change of clothes and that and shoes. And I started walking with the group. So by the time I got home, family had already left. So we just, we already knew the drill. We just started going along with whatever crowd And um, asking people, oh, did you see my family? Did you see my mom? Did you see my sister? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We saw them going ahead. Your mom was looking for you, but she knew that you know what to do. So we just followed until walking, until we got to to one town. And we slept in that town. And in the morning, I woke up and my feet were blisters everywhere. It was just so sore. And I remember begging this Ivorian guy, can I give you my good, like I had a good pair of shoes that I was walking in and I said, can I just give you these shoes so that you can give me a rubber, you know, those rubber flip-flops, those really soft ones. And that guy handed me his soft rubber flip-flops and took like my runners and, but that's the, the only thing that could comfort my feet at that time. And I just had to wear it. And walking in the bush again, trying to cross. Because when you're crossing from one country to another, there's a river. And there's no way of crossing. And I remember us getting on this thing. They call it a raft but it's pretty much planks, like they cut trees and they just slice them in half. And they put a. I sort of looked at that thing and I went, what? <laughs> and they put like a barrel under it for wheels and someone will be on the other end and they put like a long string and someone was pulling people over, just trying to get people to cross over. And we got on that thing. My mom had sent my uncle back that morning and he was like, because I wasn't gonna get on that thing to cross that river. But when I saw my uncle come across the river in the morning, I was like, "Yep, yeah, we're meant to go. So I just went across with my uncle and my friends. And then yeah, we ended up in Guinea where my mom had orig- originally gone before she came to find us. Yep, we ended up in that country and it's another french speaking country they know their language it's the same as africa's french speaking don't know the language but this time in guinea they were like liberia has had problems africa has had problems because we're all neighboring countries so guinea was like most definitely we're going to be next so all the refugees like now we had become outcasts pretty much because that um the fighting came from Liberia and spilled out into Ivory So Guinea got afraid and were like, you're just going to go to a refugee camp. And it was isolated from everywhere, like in the desert. Intense. I don't know if your listeners know what tin Tin is pretty much like plastic, <laughs> but durable plastic. And they just put it up. Like when you go camping, it's not those fancy ones. It's just like t- t- pulling or whatever they call that material and they just put it up. And 50 people in one tin, 50 people in one tin. And you just like they give you blankets. We used to call the blankets itchy blankets, <laughs> you they just itch your skin, but you had no choice. Just put your blanket down. And um, yep, yeah, just sleep in tent. During During the, the day, it got really, really hot can you imagine in a desert in a tent and it just got really hot so we had to go down to the river pretty much and just spend our day at the river and then at night it'll get really really cold and yeah we just had to live like that
0: Sis, are you like me? I literally live by my calendar. If it's not on there, it does not exist, nor does it happen. But quick question, are you on your calendar? I don't mean all the activities that you do for and with others. I mean, do you have a day that is all about you? Not babies, not bae, not work, or anything else that keeps you busy. I'm asking you to be your own bae. So one day a month, Africana Women will host in-person events in Lusaka that give you permission to practice self-love. This is not just another networking event. You know, restaurants and cocktails. No, darling. Instead, we are partnering with local businesses to give you unique experiences like paint and sip, a ladies hike, or a body positive dance class. Like, you do not want to miss this. So come on then, join us, sign up today, be your own bay. Find the link in the show notes or go to africanawoman.com. Now back to the conversation. So how long were you at that particular camp?
1: Um, We lived in that camp... I came to Australia in two thousand and five, so maybe roughly two, two, two and a half
0: to three years. Two to three years, I'll say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, tell me about Dad. So, in all of this, okay, so you've made your way to Guinea. Um, you know, you're you're now in a camp. Um, is there any way of knowing where Dad is? Did he eventually come and find you?
1: So in the refugee camp, we started writing letters
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we'll just write the letter and say, they'll say um, ICRC, they'll call them, international, they're part of the Red Cross or something, because um, when you're refugees, you have like medicine, and Frontier, you have United Nations, mm-hmm. you have all these organisations come on the camp and um, they're helping people out, do whatever they do. So that was their job, like to find missing families. So you just write a letter and say, this was the last place that I left this person. And they'll go and see if they can find the person. And we kept writing and writing and writing. And at that point, I think everyone was just like, "Hmm, whatever. We don't know. Other people's family have passed away. Like you'll get news or this person, family. But one thing mum never ever thought that dad died or mm-hmm. he wasn't yet yeah, mum mum never ever thought that she was just like we are gonna find him one day mm-hmm. we are gonna find him one day
0: mm-hmm. and
1: yeah yeah and yeah. we just kept riding and just kept living and then um I was unfortunate um I was fortunate enough in Guinea um it's so funny because um, I was thinking about my story the other day and I was like, actually, this Think About Women started a while back, but I just haven't paid attention to it. Um, or just helping people. Like, I remember when I was in boarding school, I used to bring my friends home during the break. Like, if their parents didn't show up to pick them up, I'd bring them home. They'll spend the time and then go back. And then in Guinea, I was fortunate enough to start working with um, save the children. And I started um, helping... Uh, young mums, like teen mums with their literacy and numeracy skills. And um then I started um working um as a um secretary science teacher because after I finished high school in course so I went and did typing at those days we used to have the typewriters <laughs> And I'm um, so yeah. I was fortunate enough to start teaching people how to do that in Guinea. So I was getting paid to actually do that, and that was um, that 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 really helped.
0: Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the t- time that you were in in um, in Guinea, how old were you?
1: I was nineteen, twenty. <laughs> 18, 19, 20. Yeah. By the time I got to Australia, I was
0: 21. <laughs> yeah. Mm, mm. So at this point, um, what are you thinking? What was your, your state of mind in terms of, you know, uh, were you thinking about the future or was it just day by day? What was your state of mind?
1: Um, I always, even though I felt all those emotions that I talked about earlier on, like feeling weak and feeling disempowered, I still felt them. But somehow deep down, I just felt like there is a way out of this.
0: Mm.
1: And I believe in God. So I just knew that God was just going to do something and he was just going to make a way. But I still had those feelings like, what is my life going to be like? Some days I'll wake up and I won't even eat. Like some days I'll just stay in bed and just what are we doing here? Like, but then um, funny enough, those times, now I can sit back in hindsight and say they were one of the best times that prepared me for a lot of things in life, like, I made really good friends from Ivory Coast to Guinea and we moved on together and we just stayed together. Like we would make ourselves feel comfortable. I'll say like we used to have parties. We'll go down to the creek and we'll say, we're going to the beach. You know, we changed the names of things. Let's go to the beach today. So everyone would just go down to the creek and we'll just sit there and we'll just talk and just laugh. And then they had a, basketball court we'll go to the basketball organize games and then people will come and be like a tournament and then we'll do and just make ourselves just um, live life even though we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring and yeah but guinea was one of the toughest and when you're when you're a refugee what people don't realize is that you pretty much don't have rights I would say You're just, so I'll give this example. In Guinea, you needed documents to go (laughs) to the next town. And because we lived in the desert, we had to be able to go to the next bigger town to get a lot of the stuff that we need. So when I was working and because, um, I used to work for Safe for Children USA. They had a car that will come between the camp and the the big city. So we were fortunate enough to be able to get on their car and they'll take us to the big city. We'll buy whatever we wanted to buy and then we'll come back. One day we left the camp again with my friends, went to the city, slept in another friend's house because uh, people had then... Gone on and started working so that people could afford like to leave the camp and go and live in the city, so we slept at another friend's house. And in the morning, we just hear a knock on the door, soldiers bouncing again with guns, like, "Oh, you guys are the rebels here. Put us in the truck. Every there's like one, two, three apartments on the same line, and all Liberians living in there. Arrest all three apartments, everyone, put us in a truck, take us to jail. And we end up in jail. What for? Oh, you guys are the rebels because you're Liberians. Like, because we're refugees, we get treated like nothing. And you can't say anything to the soldiers. They've got guns. You can't. You can't say, no, I'm from this place. But we were lucky enough, like we slept in jail. And that night we cried in that jail. Like, why? Why should we keep on suffering like this? Why are we treated like pretty much animals and not humans? And all our stuff that we had bought got looted. Like everything got taken away that um, we had neighbours in the environment or people that saw what went on. They were like, no, we need to get together. So all the Liberians, like the news just spread around and those Liberians just went to the police station and they were like, you've got to let our people out. They're not rebels. They're young girls, young boys, they live on the refugee on the on the refugee camp. They just came in the city to buy some stuff and to go back. And now you've arrested them and now all their stuff is gone. What's going on? So it was like a protest. And then one of the 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 big guys, I think it was the police director or someone, came in. So we had slept in that place. And spend the whole day. And then in the evening, this person came and he was really angry because, by the way, he was talking. Because I refused to like learn French. I just learned what could get me by. I <laughs> just learned like what could get me by. But you could hear and you could see the look in his face. Like when he came and saw there were kids with us because there were mothers there. And he was just angry and he just, he tore through those guys. He was just so angry. And they let us out, took us to a place, put us in a truck and took us back to the camp. So we just got scared pretty much. You're you, you, you scared to even walk on the road. You're scared to go to the creek. I remember, like I told you before, we used to go to the creek and say we'll go to the beach. They'd be <laughs> like, no, you guys need to be separated. Maybe you're planning something. So you, you're just like, you can't settle. So you just live one day at a time pretty much and just praying and hoping that something happens for you to get out of that place
0: so how did the opportunity to move from guinea to australia come about Again, it was another God move,
1: <laughs> another God thing, I, I would say. Um. So while we were in, we were in Avricos, my mom, some of her family that were in America that I mentioned earlier, tried to get us resettled to America. So um, they did all this paperwork and we had to fill out all these forms and then go for interview at the embassy and all that. So um, when the war happened in Avricos, we were told like, you guys need to go to the next Safe, close country and you'll be taken from there to America because we had gone through like the medical the immigration interview and everything and we're just waiting to pretty much board a plane and go so we left and we went to Guinea but then the process it had been like I don't know how many years that we had been waiting for this um, program to go to America maybe five six years and it's just year after year, you go and do one thing. And then another year, you go and do one thing. Because you're a refugee, you're not paying for those things. It's just pretty much you and helping you get to those places. So you just had to wait. So we're sitting in the camp, not knowing what's going to happen, not hearing anything, no one saying anything. And when you go and to the big city, you make a phone call. It's like sometimes it's one second for like... I can't even convert the the money now to like American dollars and you can't even say what you want to say. And they will say, Oh, your time is up. So you can't communicate to know exactly what's going on. So the um, women, because my mom used to be part of a women group, they just went together and said, look, we just have to pray about this thing. We can't just sit here, let our kids just go to waste Even if we don't get a better life, our kids need to get a better life. And all the women got together and they started a fast and prayer. And in that fast and prayer, um, a lot of things were shown to to the women in there. And people saw that people were going to like leave. I know some people don't believe in this stuff, but there's real stuff. Like people can see the future and people saw that a lot of people were going to leave the camp, but they didn't know where they were going, but they just saw truckloads of people just leaving the camp. So they came out of there. It was a long time. I can't remember how long they're spending there, but it was a significant amount of time and they came out and mom was like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that we're going to leave this place. And wherever it is at this point in time, I don't care. I just want somewhere where I can go and live in peace and get out of here. And then we just heard, because when something happens, it goes around like word of mouth. They go, oh, have you seen the UN board? because they had like a notice board and they'll put everything on the notice board that was going on in the camp. Oh, have you seen the notice board? Oh no. Oh, your name is on the board. Do you want to go check why your name is on the board? So we go, Oh mom. Yeah. Your name is on the board. Your name is on the board. And then we get told that, um, Australia has asked to take women and kids that are at risk into Australia. That's why Our mom's name is on the board. So mom was like, we're going wherever. And people got scared and people were saying, oh, my goodness, how can you go to a place you don't know anyone? They're going to take you to be slaves. You know, now people are just used to that mentality. Refugees are just refugees. We're just going to be treated however. And so people got scared. And... um, my mom is a crazy woman, i am say. <laughs> By that point, she had taken on three other kids in the refugee camp. And she had those kids with her when, when that um, news broke out. And now she started to worry what she was going to do with those kids because, because um, their mom had passed away and their dad just left them. So. Mum was like, how can I just leave them? So she had taken on those kids. And that was when mum sort of hesitated for a moment. She was like, what am I going to do with them? But then again, Mom, being a woman of prayer, she just prayed and said, Lord, just lead me to do what I can do for them. And we went in for that interview and we took those kids And we just told the people, this is what happened. They had been living with us for the last two years. We don't know what we're going to do with them. And they were included in our documents. And after six months, after we had waited for seven, five five to seven years to go to America, after six months, we got to Australia, 2005, 18th of January on a chatter flight everything paid for into a strange land.
0: We didn't know anyone. Yeah. What was that day like? When you're getting onto the plane, what was that day like? It was, there was a lot
1: of crying a lot like the whole because we were like the first group of refugees 350 of us to get on a bus to leave the camp and go to the to the big city and then we left that big city and went to conokree which is the capital and then got on a chatter flight. People cried there was singing there was dancing there was cry it was it was like oh I can't tell you what, how, how it felt. Like I could not speak. My friends were standing at the bus and I was sitting in the bus and I, I could not speak. I was speechless and I sat there. But then you have that thing at the back of your mind, maybe this is not even going to happen. We're going to get to the airport and there's going to be fighting and we'll have to come back. So you can't celebrate fully. You're still like holding back and even when we got here there was still that feeling that something could happen something might happen yeah
0: in a split second your life can become completely unrecognizable liberia was a peaceful country they were even going to win awards But one fateful day, the unimaginable happened. War erupted. It is sad how we take peace for granted. How easily our leaders make decisions that can tip over into violence. In the blink of an eye, what was once a peaceful country then became ruins. How many cautionary tales do we need to tell before our leaders understand that we, the people they seek to lead, are the ones that suffer the most? We will pick up in part two, what happens when Mente and her family arrived in Australia. Make sure you tune in. find mente on social media at Biawo 15 and tell her you heard her on the africana woman podcast thank you dear listener for making us part of your day by listening in i truly appreciate you if you liked this episode please share it with a friend and you can find me on instagram at chulu by design and say hello i always respond until next week I want you to remember, know your roots, grow your purpose. This has been a production of Olendo Creative Media. You can find out more about their services on www.olendocreative.com.